Welcome to the Eat Right Nutrition Podcast, where we partner with experts in the health, wellness, and nutrition field to deliver you an excellent variety of content based on real science, real facts, and real food. I'm your host, Daron. And I'm Nicole. Today, we're going to talk about food journals, intuitive eating, macros, and goals. All right, boss lady. I want to talk a little bit about food journals, the importance of food journals, what purpose they serve. You can jump into research on food journals, but anything I read in the research just is from a coaching aspect. If you've ever coached people or if you've been coaching people for an extended period of time, it's common sense. I agree. So... I want to talk a little bit about the benefits of keeping a food journal, different types of food journals, different ways that you can account for what you're doing and what you're eating. Mm -hmm. So let's get into it. Okay. So So different. Go ahead. (laughs) No, go ahead. See, we're both ready. (laughs) Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is, so the benefits of it and then the types of food journals, that's that's what you want to start with? Yeah, sure. Okay. Well, the benefits, I think, are pretty self-explanatory, but let's iron them out for anyone that's not sure. (laughs) I don't think they are self-explanatory. You don't think so? No, and I'll tell you why. Tell me why. Because sometimes people don't see the benefit. You've gotten those people, right? They come into you and they're like, I'm like, all right, well, you know, eating adequate protein is is a good thing to do. It's something that you should do. It's going to help you reach your goals. And they're like, oh, but I I do eat adequate protein. Okay, well, are you open to logging and we'll see? Mm Mm-hmm. And then, you know, sometimes they are, they, they, they don't, people don't always necessarily see the point. And at the moment that they actually see the point is the moment yes. that they actually start logging. Yes. And, and then they, they see like, holy shit, I'm not getting any, I'm barely getting any protein. Yeah. Well, I mean, so basically journaling your food for me with clients is a way to, a tool to teach them how to pay attention, I guess, to what they're putting in their body. I mean, that's the basics. And then to your point, are they getting adequate protein? What type of carbohydrates? How much fiber are they getting in? What type of fats? How much fat? What type of sugar? How much sugar? Like, it's really just a breakdown. Because I think you have a point in the fact that a lot of people journal just for calories, just to make sure they're, you know, tracking calories but they're not paying attention to the macronutrients and the quality of the food that they're putting in within that calorie structure. Right. You don't know what those calories are made up of. And the ratios of those things are important as well to focus exactly. on. Depending on what your goals are and depending on yeah. how your body responds to certain eating patterns, that's mm-hmm. going to give you a starting point. So when yeah. I look at food journals, one of the first things that I say is, hey, we need to establish a baseline. Yep. So that we know what you're eating like, and then we know what direction to go in. To go in. I can't give you a recommendation unless I know where we're starting. Yeah. And a lot of people come in and ask us for food plans. Like, just tell me what to eat. And that's really not what, well, it's not what I believe in. It's not how I coach my clients. I don't want to just tell you what to do. I want you to actually learn about your body's responses, learn about the foods that you're putting in, 
learn about the choices that you're making and the reasons why you're making them. And right. from a food journal versus meal plan perspective, mm-hmm. uh, what I'm going to say about that is I can't just give you a meal plan that you're going to follow forever because your body's going to change and so is your nutrition. Right. That's A. And B, I'm going to give you foods that I like and you don't necessarily like and you're going to exactly. be like, all right, well, I can't follow this and you're not going to have much variety of, or options. So the goal is to create, mm-hmm. help you to create a meal plan by yourself on your own and equip you with the tools. One of those tools is food journaling. And I'll tell you why one of those tools is food journaling. Awareness so that you can see what you're eating. And I'll give you an example of that. My brother at one point reached out to me and he said, hey man, I'm gaining a few pounds. I need a little bit of help and guidance when it comes to nutrition. And I said, all right, cool. Log in a food journal and mm-hmm. we'll talk about it next week. I didn't hear from him for a month. <laughs> and, and, but here's the, here's the beauty of it. He didn't need to call me and say, okay, what next? He realized by logging, yeah. it created that awareness for him. And he said, hey, I realized that I was eating too much sugar and I just cut it out and I lost 10 pounds from the last time that we talked. And I was like, yeah. all right, great. So that's a benefit to food journaling is that awareness piece the accountability piece also, mm-hmm. it helps to hold yourself accountable to staying on track. Mm-hmm. It helps for if you're working on, with a coach, it helps your coach to hold you accountable because a conversation between you and I as a client and, and coach relationship, when you tell me you're eating a certain way and you're not getting results, I don't know that. I don't really know that what you're telling me is accurate because I can't see it. Right. Uh, the other piece is it teaches you about macros and you start to learn how many grams of carbs, fat, and protein are in each of the foods. It helps you with meal frequency, how many meals did I eat? People overestimate or underestimate what they ate or how they ate. If I asked your average person, like my average client, and I asked them without logging in a food journal three or four days after they've eaten something, hey, can you recall what you ate three or four days ago? No, you can't. But if you're on a plan and you're eating macros and you're paying attention to what you're eating, eventually Mm -hmm. you will have the ability to recall what you ate three or four days ago. Mm -hmm. The other piece to that is you can track your hydration, how much Mm -hmm. water you're taking in. You can monitor that. It's something to pay attention to, keep an eye on. The other piece is alcohol consumption because people tend to over, no, sorry, people tend to underestimate (laughs) how much, oh, I only drink once a week and then turns out I'm drinking five days a week and that those calories are adding up too. So Mm -hmm. those are the things that need to be accounted for as well. Uh, and then snacking, right? Nicole, you brought up snacking in our conversation yesterday. Yeah. And I think part of the snacking piece is um, your stress response to food. You know, I always talk about like, you know, if you look through a food journal and you see that someone's snacking like mid-afternoon, like what's going on in the afternoon that's creating that habit to snack? Is it emotional? Is it a stress response? Is it that they're not eating enough during the day? Like you actually get to see patterns of behaviors in how you eat, which I think is huge. And snacking is a big one um, between that. I don't know, like I call it the witching hour between like three and 6 p.m. Like you get home mid afternoon, you get home from work, you pick up the kids, you're rushing, you're scrambling around, you start right. snacking, you're hungry, right? you're hungry or hangry. But are you hungry? Right. Right. It's, it's you. You can also with the food journal measure levels of stress throughout the day, what was yeah. going on in the day, and you can pinpoint your habits and what yes. are causing those habits. And it's not about this is the piece where it comes to the primary food thing that you mm-hmm. and I talk about. Right. It's not about focusing on the food piece in that hour. It's about focusing on the piece that's driving that decision to eat the way that you're eating. And then you work on that. And by default, you fix the food. Exactly.
Epic. 100%. hundred percent. hundred percent. And then you uh, were talking about like the way, uh, excuse me, ways to journal. And I don't know about you, but I have kind of like uh, step by step. Like if I have meet with someone as a client and they've never written anything down before, I start with literally a very basic sheet that tracks protein. Like you don't have to journal all the things that you're eating. I start with, let's just start with tracking your protein grams of protein per day. And then I go to writing down on a sheet of paper or a notebook, like just meal one, what's breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and what did you have in between without actually calculating macros. I just, go ahead. Right. So, you know, the protein piece that you just brought up is similar to what I talked about when I first started bodybuilding when I was 17, 18 years old. And I said, hey, I'm just going to write down on a piece of paper the sources of protein that I had. I took it a little step further, the weighing and measuring, which we'll talk Mm -hmm. about in a minute. And then I added up the amount of protein that I had for the day. You know, it was a single macronutrient. It doesn't have to be, oh my God, I got to focus on my carbs, my fat, my vegetables, my fiber, my sugar, my, the types of fat. Like you don't have to get so crazy in detail. You just have to start becoming aware. Right. And then, so from protein intake, and then I go to written journal just so we can, we can work on quality of food right? Before actually counting calories and tracking macros. And once we clean up quality of food, sometimes that makes, just like you said about your brother, you just pay attention a little bit. You, you find a few things to tweak and it takes care of itself. Sometimes that's enough. You don't need to focus on quantity. And other mm-hmm. times, then if you want to take it a step further and say, hey, yeah. how far can I take this? Then you start focusing on quantity. Right. And then you can actually journal in an app, the Lose It app, My Fitness Pal, things of that nature. And uh, so- Let's talk about that. The, the app versus the written journal. I chip, mm-hmm. typically prefer an app if you can. The food journal thing. Okay, cool. But I would still say, hey, tell me the try and weigh measure so that if anything, me as a coach, I can calculate mm-hmm. it for you. Uh, and then I, I recommend mm-hmm. things like Calorie King to look up right? So calorieking.com or you download the app Calorie King and that just gives you an accurate, a pretty accurate database of each food. You can say, okay, I'm going to choose chicken. I'm going to choose cooked chicken, Mm -hmm. uh, baked, whatever it is, grilled, whichever you want to choose. And then you say, how much is it per ounce? Okay. And then you add up the ounces and you say, hey, if I want to get like 25 grams of protein per meal, I'm going to click the ounces up on the button until I get to 25 and, and the, app, the app or the website itself is going to tell you how much you need to eat to get to that yeah. goal for that meal. Yep. Now, in terms of that, MyFitnessPal is the most popular one, mm-hmm. I, as, at least from for my us stand, anyway. yeah. standpoint. Uh, it's one that I use for coaching mm-hmm. and there are some pitfalls to be careful of and to watch out for. So this, yeah. is, where, this is where Calorie King comes in. I use Calorie King and I tell my clients to use Calorie King to cross-check their entries that they're mm-hmm. choosing from MyFitnessPal. And the yep. reason why we do that, a lot of people get the misconception. They just think that MyFitnessPal is this company that builds a database that is accurate. The problem mm-hmm. is they're not building their own database. So what's happening with MyFitnessPal is it's user-made. So right. each user that's on my, the MyFitnessPal interface is adding entries into their journal and let's say they can't find something or they want to put in their own entry they'll put in chicken right and for four ounces of chicken they might they might put in an entry that says four ounces of chicken 20 grams of carbs zero grams of fat zero grams of protein and then x number of calories right Mm -hmm. so 
from that standpoint, which 20 grams would be what? 80 calories, right? So mm -hmm. from that standpoint, if you're looking at it, that person entered something in wrong. That's right. now available in the database for you As to choose option. on your end and you're mm -hmm. logging it in and your numbers are wrong. So it's always important to kind of cross check with the MyFitnessPal thing. I haven't found a great solution to that in terms of apps. I think MyFitnessPal is probably one of the easiest to use with clients and it allows me to view their journal from home from my computer. Yeah. They can add me as a friend. So it just makes things easier from the coaching side. It's not a perfect system. One day. Someday. The Eat Right Nutrition <laughs> app. Um, but, you know, just things to look out for from a uh, journaling standpoint. You can write it down. It's not going to be, to me at least, I'm not going to think it's as accurate or as effective or creating as much awareness as doing a food journal app. Yeah, I agree. But I think the downfall, if we can start that piece to the conversation with writing things down, even on a piece of paper or in a journal, is that, you know, some clients that may become a little bit more anxious or stressed or overstimulated by looking at numbers and can get a little bit crazy at focusing too much on what they're eating and how much they're eating. And it, it, can, it can tip the scale in the wrong direction. So you do have to be careful and know the type of person that you are or the type of client that we're working with. If it's something that makes them more anxious to write stuff down and track numbers and things like that, pulling them back and just focusing on quality of food so that they don't get too obsessed with it. Yeah. And the obsessiveness piece obviously is there. But what I find too is depending on the dialogue that a coach is having with a client. So mm -hmm. if the dialogue is built around this kind of restrictive conversation and this restrictive manner and this, yeah. you have to be on track, you have to do everything absolutely Perfect. right. Perfect. Right. Yeah. Like we look at ballparks, right? So let's yeah. say I tell somebody to eat 100 grams of protein. I'm just going to throw that out as an arbitrary number. And then I say, okay, I want you to break that out evenly throughout four meals a day. Mm -hmm. That's going to be 25 grams per meal. You know, on that end, it's, listen, it doesn't have to be perfectly 25 grams. It's just got to be give or take a few grams. It's not, yeah. you know, so creating that dialogue is important. Knowing your relationship and what type of person you are, where your relationship with food is yeah, definitely important. You don't want it to get out of hand. You want it, you want it to be a healthy relationship. A lot of the times with um, journaling food, if the mindset of the user is that they're trying to be on a like a diet or they're trying to cut things back, like you said, being too restrictive, I think that's when that tips it into the negative side of things. But if you're looking at a food journal as a tool to teach you about your body and the types of foods that you like and actually you know, want to eat and you're focusing on the lifestyle that you're living and just entering that in the way you live instead of trying to format an outside perspective and plugging yourself into that, then I think yeah. it becomes... It needs to fit into your life, right. not your life fit around into, your, exactly. your wellness. You're, you're trying to integrate health and wellness and fitness and nutrition into your current lifestyle. Yes. You're not trying to... And this is the part that gets overwhelming thought process-wise yeah. for people when they're starting this journey is, I have to completely shift my lifestyle. No, you don't. Right. You have to slowly start integrating healthy habits into, into your current lifestyle. Yes. Right? And Yeah. And so that goes back to your point about the dialogue with your client 
or even if I'm the client, it's my dialogue within my own mindset, you know, that this is a slow process. I'm going to practice this. I'm not going to get everything right every single time, but I'm just going to learn from even, especially the things that you get wrong. I mean, let's be honest, the things that you get wrong are the things that you learn from the most. So it's okay. I tell clients all the time, make the mistakes, write what you actually ate. Like don't hold back, take a look. Because if you write what you authentically are eating, a lot of the times you think you're going to need to change everything. You end up just needing to tweak your protein, maybe cut your carbs a little bit, maybe add a little bit of fat. It's not as big of a deal as we think it is. And then it's not as hard. The adherence becomes a little bit easier because you're making the mistakes, seeing what you need to change, creating that change or finding a solution to that. And then you can keep on going. And it's easier to adhere to when it's done that way than, like you said, changing everything. And then you feel like you can't stick to anything. And you bring up a good point in that just kind of made me think about one of the other benefits to food journaling is because of that accountability piece, there's a restraint that ties you back to your goals. Yeah. Where you know that you have to log it, you know that you have to look at it. Therefore, you're choosing not to eat it because you don't want to have to log it in. And it's reinforcing that behavior of, right. I can eat these things, but I can't eat them too regularly because I'm going to see them frequently reoccurring in my, in my food journal. Mm-hmm. And that kind of makes me feel like, uh, I don't feel good about it. I don't feel good about myself because I'm constantly eating these things. And now I have to look at it it's in front of me. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a, um, a self-awareness tool for sure. So I want to jump into, I know we were going to talk about this later, but we might as well just hit it now. The food journal and then the opposite end of the spectrum, mm-hmm. because you and I wanted to have this conversation and then we'll go back into kind of weighing and measuring and things like that. Okay. I want to talk about the opposite of the opposite end of the spectrum and something that's often today misunderstood. It's intuitive eating. Mm-hmm. So the intuitive eating piece, I'm just going to make the statement. You can't intuitively eat unless your body is intuitive. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but it, it, it does to me, but it to our listeners. To <laughs> and what I mean by that is let's say you eat sugar all day long. You eat processed, refined foods and carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. You are going to your intuition, quote unquote, per se, your body is going to tell you to get more of those things because those are hyper palatable foods that you're eating on a regular basis. Right. Cookies, cakes, chips, pizzas, chips, yeah. you know, things that are literally designed for your brain to be like, I want more of this food. Mm-hmm. So intuitive eating doesn't mean eat cookies and chips and cakes and whatever you want all day. Right. (laughs) Eating to me is a skill you need to develop. For me, somebody at a beginner level who's never paid attention to it, they have zero awareness around food. I don't think intuitive eating is a thing for that person. Not yet. After bodybuilding for 15 years, I can intuitively eat Mm -hmm. because I know- You had all that practice. Yes. I know macro. Just all that, right? Yeah. So you need to be able to practice it first. Now, I'm not saying if you've got an eating disorder and you're anorexic or... That's a whole new podcast. Right? That's, that's, a, that's a clinical... That's not even a podcast for us. Yeah, right? That's, that's, a, yeah. that's the clinical <laughs> side of things. So I'm not even talking about a clinical side of things. I'm just talking from the perspective of your everyday, generally healthy, yeah. somewhat okay relationship with food. Obviously, mm-hmm. everybody's got some degree or level of 
you know, mm-hmm. difference with their uh, relationship with food. But for your everyday person, intuitive eating is not a starting point. It's an ending point. It's a point yes. that you want to get to once you've mastered all the tools. Yes. I completely agree. I think... Uh, Otherwise, you're going to be making excuses to eat cookies. I was, took the words right out of my mouth. I was just going to say, then you just make excuses like, well, I'm just intuitive, intuitively, intuitively eating ice cream because <laughs> that's what I want to eat. But I think it's because everybody wants fast results. You know, I'm going to keep going back to this. We've yeah, but how are you going to get fast cookies. results eating cookies? <laughs> well, well, you and well, I understand not, that. Oh, you're not. You're not. You're not. <laughs> but I also think, I guess I think of it more from this standpoint. People think if I'm, you know, we talked about um, prioritizing nutrient dense foods and a couple of the podcasts we've done so far. So if you're prioritizing those, this is why food journaling is great. And you see that, you know, 95% of your day is great. And you at night have a cookie after dinner and you have it every night. If it's taking you out of a caloric deficit or if it's tipping your macros out of balance, then it could present problems. But it may not be either. And I think the intuitive eating is, like you said, it can create an excuse to do whatever you want or it can actually, over time, give you the freedom, like you said, after bodybuilding for all these years, you've learned all these things. Now you have the freedom to kind of earn your easy. That's what I like to call it. You have to earn the easiness of, of, of choosing foods. Once you've learned the foundation and done all of the practicing, then you get that freedom to have some play. But you can't do that right out the gate. Intuitive eating, I think, is something that you is a more nu- advanced nutrition strategy down the line. So just allow yourself to, you know, earn the right to do intuitive eating, right? Because your hunger and satiety cues, all those things are, are going to be, they're not, you know, eating on your cues, right? That's the thought process. If your body's hungry, eat it. If you're craving something, feed yourself that food. But it's not always so cut and dry because yeah. your, your body's cravings, there's so many hormones involved, right? You've got ghrelin, you've got ghrelin, <laughs> you've got ghrelin, you've got leptin, you've got uh, NPY, you've got insulin that affects your your hunger and satiety right fluctuating insulin levels you've Mm -hmm. got growth hormone testosterone like all the things that we talk about that can throw off your intuition and yeah because there's so much involved like it's let's kind of rewire all those things get those things released at the right times get that all covered and, and then let's get you to a point where you can intuitively eat and and eat freely the journal piece doesn't have to be like, I only eat clean and log it in my journal. It's just to create right. that awareness. So there's no, there's never a place where, unless you're a competitive athlete, like super high level competitive athlete, there's never right. a place that you should take the fun out of food entirely. Yes. You should exactly. stay on track. You should try new recipes. You should try new foods. You should eat things that are delicious, but fall within your plan that's developed by your goals. Right. Yeah, exactly. And the other piece is weighing and measuring. So how do we food journal? The first piece that I say is weighing and measuring. And there's a concept that I don't know if I coined it or I don't know where it came from. It just came from somewhere that it's portion distortion. Yep. I don't know where that came from. Did that come from somewhere? It's in a lot of literature. So maybe I read it somewhere and subconsciously it just came out and no, it's definitely in literature. For right, sure. So, I've read I've read about it many times. There's a lot of studies. There's there was a popcorn study about I don't know. 
I have to look that up. I'm not going <laughs> to. So I'm not an inventive genius? No, I'm sorry. It's not you. <laughs> yeah. Damn it. All right. So weighing and measuring foods, portion distortion. What portion distortion is, and I use cereal as an example. You wake up in the morning, you pour yourself a bowl of cereal. You're literally pouring yourself a bowl of cereal, an entire bowl. A serving is like, I haven't eaten cereal in a while. It's, what is it, like a fourth of a cup? Yeah, I Maybe think so. Half, I haven't fourths. eaten it's cereal. Three, I think it's three-fourths. So most cereals, a serving is three-fourths of a cup. Mm-hmm. When you're pouring your bowl of cereal, you, <laughs> you're pouring probably four or five servings yeah. and then adding your milk to it. Right. That is one of the pieces that's important because if you're going to log in a food journal and you're going to do it accurately, you need to weigh and measure just to develop a perception. Like somebody might say, hey, I poured two cups. And then in actuality, when they actually broke it out into cups, they Mm -hmm. find that I was actually eating four or five times, which was well over 100 grams of carbs in a sitting, which is intense. That's insane, right? (laughs) Obviously intense, depending on who it is. Yeah, you got you got a professional bodybuilder. They might do like 100, 150 grams of carbs per meal nonstop all day. Yeah, but weighing and measuring is going to be super important so that you have a perception of what things look like. People yeah. tell me all the time, like I, I can I could just eye it out, and I'm like, yeah, okay, never works. <laughs> do me a favor, take that piece of chicken, eye it out, put it on your plate, and then transfer it onto a scale, and tell yeah. me if you guessed even how close, close were you? Yeah, even close. You should be able to weigh and measure to get yourself to a point where you can eye it out mm-hmm. because you're familiar with what things look like. Yeah. And you're give or take when you do it, you end up you end up like give or take by like half an ounce, which is yeah. It's fine, well, but this- it's not depending on where you're at and how how strict and rigid you want to be, you know, it could be fine in terms of getting to your goals, depending on what your goals are. Yeah. I think we underestimate protein. And we overestimate carbohydrates. We underestimate. Like said, we per- underestimate carbo- We overestimate protein, and we underestimate carbs. It's the opposite, yeah. right? Is that what I said? No, yeah, you said the, you said the <laughs> inverse of that. I said the other. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yes, and so I think portion distortion is also about plating your food. When you plate your food, and you're taking a look at everything your protein intake you think is more than it is and your carbohydrates you think is less than it is. Also, so we it, use, we use bigger plates than yeah. our, the plates that we have standard in the house. I, I don't remember where I read this. I read an article a while back that, no, this was in college. And one of my professors was like the standard plate used to be nine inches. And now the nine inch plate is your salad plate that you have at home. <laughs> so your portions, you know, for people that, like to fill up their plate visually yeah your portions are realistically should be based on a nine inch plate not a 14 inch plate Mm -hmm. so your food journal is not something that you need to rely on for the rest of your life but it's going to create that awareness it's going to create that accountability it's going to teach you about macros which i guess is the next thing that i want to get into with you Mm mm-hmm and it's going to get you to where you want to be. It's going to get you to a place in your head where you're conscious around foods. You're aware of your macronutrients. And Nicole, you brought up thinking dieting versus deficit. Yeah, I say this all the time. I'm like being in a caloric deficit is not the same as being on a diet. There is a big difference. I talk about this with my clients literally every single session 
just to reiterate and knock home that being in a caloric deficit will create change, tracking your macros and understanding how your body responds in that deficit, right? So I always tell clients, you need to be in a caloric deficit to change your body, especially for weight loss, but the macronutrient balance is what will keep your hunger, energy, and cravings balanced and how you feel in that deficit. And then, you don't, and then you don't feel like you're dieting. You feel like you're in a deficit and it's good and it's healthy. And that exactly. is uh, Jay Tita. Yes, Dr. Jay Tita. Where he talks about your, uh, getting your, what he's coined to get your heck in check. Yeah. Right? And yep. if your hunger, energy, and cravings are balanced, are balanced then you're in a good place. Yeah, it basically means that if your hunger, energy, and cravings are, are good, your hunger is balanced, your energy is high, and your cravings are low, then the amount of calories that you're eating in that deficit will be sustainable. You can actually stay in that for a period of time to create change. If your heck is out of check and you're not, your hunger is out of control, your energy is low, and your cravings are high, then you have to make changes. And that's going to happen throughout the period of whatever phase of, of change, whether you're trying to cut, whether you're trying to build muscle, whether you're in maintenance, doesn't even matter. You I just would want say, to make sure I, that's balanced. I would say this though, I do have a, a viewpoint to add, and I don't know if he talks about this in his philosophy, but the viewpoint that I would add is in the beginning, when you first initially make that change to put someone in a caloric deficit, their hunger, energy, and cravings might be affected and they might be hungry. They might have low energy. Mm -hmm. I don't really know about the energy piece, but they might be hungry after meals. They might have some cravings, but if that continues beyond, let's say maybe the two or three week mark and you're mm -hmm. still feeling that, yeah. then you're, it, then as he would say, your heck isn't in check and we need to readjust and reevaluate. Yeah. I think if you think of it as an adjustment period, what you're talking about, it depends on where people are entering in as well. A lot of people have low energy when they come to see us because they're not balancing their meals anyway. And then you start feeding them adequate protein and balanced sources of carbohydrates and their energy goes up. So it's piece by piece that you will start to see those changes. But it, it 100% works. I've done it so many. I've used that with clients all the time and it works. Yeah. So Dieting is definitely the mentality of in my opinion, with my clients, feeling like you have to struggle or it has to suck so bad that you, dr you start on Monday, you drop off by Thursday, and then you're starting again the next Monday, <laughs> you know? Right. And then we go into the macro piece of that and why the macro piece is important. Mm -hmm. Part of the reason is because you want to focus on foods. Now, everybody's macronutrient composition is going to be different ultimately. Yes. What I do is I start them off with a 40, 30, 30, typically. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I don't. There might be a one-off where somebody comes to me and I'm like, I'm going to start you in a different place based on what you've told me and what you've done and the information I have in front of me. But for the most part, a 40, 30, 30 baseline, which is 40 moderate. 40 being what? 40% mm -hmm. carbs, 30% protein, 30% fat. Mm -hmm. And that gives you moderate carbohydrate. That gives you moderate protein. Mm -hmm. And it gives you an adequate amount of fat. Yeah. Now, what those things do is, first and foremost, if you're not eating enough protein, your hunger and your cravings aren't going to be in balance mm -hmm. because protein is very satiating, right? Mm -hmm. It takes a long time to break down. Unless you're having whey protein, then that might not be that satiating, at least I find for myself. Like mm -hmm. supplemental shakes, they're not really as satiating as... Real food. 
you know, I guess if you compare a powdered carb versus a powdered protein, maybe the protein will fill you up a little bit more. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But the protein piece is going to be satiating. Adequate fat is going to be satiating. And that's Mm -hmm. why oftentimes when you see people on low fat diets, they're hungry because that fat isn't giving them that satiety piece. Also, a lot of sources of healthy fat, nuts and seeds are also going to be sources of fiber. So Mm -hmm. managing and checking your fiber out and then putting yourself at a place. Carbohydrate is really the big number that changes and varies from person to person. And this is where you see, you know, like some people that push out the like John Berardi of Precision Nutrition. He'll talk about the body types, right? So you have like different phenotypes. You've got endomorph, ectomorph, mesomorph, right? Mm -hmm. And based on what body type you are, that's going to I'm not going to say tell you how what your calories should look like. It's no, going to it's a to, starting point. It's going like- to key, key you into what it could mm-hmm. potentially be. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you're going to end up branching off because not right. every person is entirely ecto or meso or mm-hmm. endo. You're probably some mix of the two or two. three, yeah. right? You're some mix in there and you're an individual and you need to find what works for you and what's right for you. Going back to the food journal, that's mm-hmm. going to give you a perspective on what you're doing now so that you can alter and make changes. Yeah. Because you, it's a you've, starting got, point. you've got this body type, you've got your own functioning metabolism that factors into it. You've got your body's ability to produce hormones, right? Like we talked about when we talked about testosterone, some men just naturally make more testosterone than others. And their mm-hmm. baseline is different than others. And that affects your metabolic rate because yeah. testosterone aids in protein synthesis. So that's going to contribute to that too. So there's so many contributing factors. All we can do is just say, hey, this is kind of what your body type looks like. Here's where we're going to start mm-hmm. you. And we'll branch off depending on how you feel, how you respond. And mm-hmm. you know, it's going to take its own form and shape. And then eventually you learn what works for you. But you need that baseline so that you can say, I've been consistently eating 40, 30, 30. If you were given that macro composition, I've been consistently eating 40, 30, 30 through four meals a day. Everything's been balanced. Everything's been good. I've been in a caloric deficit. It's not really working for me. Now you know where you can go from there because you're aware and it's in a food journal and it's like, all right, you have to quantify the things that you're doing. Yeah. Or you may not be in a caloric deficit. That's, that's the piece to the change that you need to make. Because if you're in a caloric deficit, truly you will create change. So part of that recomp in terms of figuring out your baseline, that 40, 30, 30, and your calories, you have to start somewhere to see what your body's response is. And then from there, you can create the changes you need. And this is also why coaching is so important because too many people get frustrated if they are following a 40, 30, 30, and they're like, I've been doing it everything's perfectly in line and I'm still not creating change. Well, then something's not in line if you're not creating change. So you you, have to play. You got to work with somebody who's going to just do this. This is where a coach comes in and, you know, for, for us hiring coaches, it's, you have somebody who's going to do the thinking for you and just lay out the plan and you're going to follow that plan. Now, Nicole. No, I was just going to say, because to your point a minute ago about if you're, if you think you're doing everything right, sometimes it takes a second pair of eyes to really look and dig a little deeper and say, well, have you tried this and have you tried that? 
also panic mode, right? Yeah, if, exactly. If you're panicking, <laughs> you're not going to make the right decision. And, you know, I've seen this with women that if you're in panic mode, you're like, oh, shit, I'm just going to drop my calories by like 500 more calories. Exactly. Because this isn't working for me, right? It's not about that. It's about macro composition coupled with your caloric intake, which mm-hmm. brings me to the next topic that I want to cover, which is we talked about total daily energy expenditure and basal metabolic rate something you can do to get a general baseline. Now, any equation isn't going to be a perfect equation. There's going to be some fine tuning, Mm -hmm. but equations give us the best guess of where you should be theoretically. And they factor in things like your height, your weight, your age, your activity level. Mm -hmm. So you've got something like Harris Benedict, which I, I haven't used since college. So let's eliminate that. (laughs) <laughs> We've got the Mifflin equation, which was the most common one, which was the quote unquote gold standard when I was mm-hmm. in college, which factors in basal metabolic rate. So it tells you what your basal metabolic rate is. There's an activity factor in there where you multiply 1.5, you know, whatever you multiply it by for your level of activity. And then it will spit out the number of calories that you calories. should be eating on a day-to-day basis. Now, what may be a more accurate thing is the catch McArdle formula. Mm-hmm. The downfall to that if, is if you're sitting at home and you don't have access to body fat measurements because yeah. catch McArdle will estimate based on lean body mass. So you mm-hmm. need to know what your body fat percentage is. You need to subtract that from your total mass and then you end up with your lean body mass and you plug that into that equation, mm-hmm. uh, which may be a good equation. But if you don't have that capability, then the Mifflin equation which also what I find with that is my fitness pal, generally speaking, yeah, gives you pretty accurate macros, uh, not macros, sorry. Calories. My, fit, my fitness pal gives you an amount of calories that is typically in line, give or take, with what I usually recommend. Mm-hmm. The only issue that I find with my fitness pal is the way that the default, well, it's not the only issue, there's a few issues with it, but the default setting that is 50% carbohydrates. Yeah. I, 50% is not a baseline for me for anybody. Maybe like a marathon runner or somebody who's an endurance athlete might need more yeah. carbohydrates. But for your standard average person, I don't think the baseline should be 50% carbohydrates. I think that's on the high carb side of yeah. things. I agree. And every time you change anything on your goal page in MyFitnessPal, it defaults back to that original 50%. So you have yeah, to keep so, updating that. Yeah, you got to update that. Um, and then the flip side to also... Part of food journaling is, Nicole, you do this a decent amount with clients. I've seen you do it, is nutrition periodization Mm -hmm. and being able to give yourself, and this is like the advanced advanced, right? Mm -hmm. You've already mastered macros. You've already been logging in your food journal. You're aware, you're conscious, like you've got it down. You could do it almost like with your eyes closed or your coach can do it for you Mm -hmm. and you'll understand and be able to pivot and do it based on certain days of the week. You're going to eat more calories certain days of the week. You're going to eat less calories. You're going to mm-hmm. flip-flop your uh, macronutrient composition. Nicole, mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about nutrient periodiz- uh, nutrition periodization. So nutrition periodization is basically a nutrition, an advanced nutrition strategy for someone that's been with me for a while and has been following their plan pretty strictly and they're doing a really great job. And so we start to add in things like diet breaks. So diet breaks would essentially be... I don't want to use the word diet. It's called a diet break, so it doesn't matter. All right. So 
Diet breaks. We don't like to use the word diet, but let's call it diet breaks. Nutrition breaks. For fuck's sake. Um, (laughs) So diet breaks are you coming out of that caloric deficit for a day or two. Mm -hmm. And so what we use it for is if they have been in maintenance calories and they go into a cut phase or they go into a build phase, you have the ability to then periodize their maintenance cut and build phase. So if I get someone that's in a cut phase, say they're doing, you know, their 500 calorie deficit and they do that for 11 days, then I'll give them a food break and bring them back up to maintenance phase for two days. And then they go back into their deficit for 11 days. And then they go back up to maintenance for two days. Another option is to well, so what, let's talk about what that creates. That creates an environment of, hey, we're re-stimulating your metabolism because we're, we're canceling out that adaptation, right? We're trying, the, whole, mm-hmm. the whole idea is to get your body to not adapt and lower exactly. basal metabolic rate. So we take you out and we give you a quote-unquote nutrition or diet break mm-hmm. uh, or food break, right? Where yeah. it's like, hey, you know what? For, for these couple of days, I want you to uh, consume a higher amount of calories so that we're preventing your metabolic rate from adapting and then you're going to plateau right or even if you've already plateaued let's eat exactly eat some calories in excess a little bit to get Mm -hmm. to stimulate that um those results again right and then and then the other thing one of the other things that you do that i was familiar with but never implemented until i worked with you was the carb cycling piece so that was a piece that you helped me with in terms of okay i know about it theoretically i know about uh, you know, what it looks like from a, um, a thought standpoint, but I then implemented it. And can you talk a little bit about the carb cycling and how that works and how that's kind of similar to the concept that we're talking about? It, yeah, it's basically the same thing. It's an advanced strategy for someone that's been, you know, tracking through maintenance, a cut phase, a build phase, but we use the macronutrients as a cycle as opposed to the calories. So if their calories are at 1800 and they're uh, macronutrient split is a 40-30-30, then you can flip around the percentage of macros from a higher carb day and a lower carb day within the same calorie intake for the day. And I usually will do that with my female clients on heavier lifts, leg days, deadlift days, booty days. So they have a higher amount of calorie, a higher amount of carbohydrates, excuse me, to get them through those workouts. And then they have a you know, a break day and they go back down and lower their carbs. And for females that have issues with water retention, uh, we talked about this when we talked about the menstrual cycle. I'll do it during a week where a a female client has her menstrual cycle and she wants to have more carbohydrates. So you can have flexibility within the structure of your food plan. But like we said at the beginning, you have to have the basics down first in order to use these advanced strategies. And a lot of the times, the clients that I see will come in and be trying all these yo-yos. They're adding carbs, taking carbs away, so adding me, calories, taking calories away. Right. So, so let me jump in on that because you talk okay. about how you have to have that baseline. I've seen so many people do keto, right? And I'm not somebody who's going to be opposed to keto. It has its place for certain people. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not opposed to you know, really anything. anything. It's, it's what yeah. works for you. Well, mm-hmm. I might be opposed to a couple of things. Let's be real. <laughs> but, you know, keto is something that is, is scientifically sound. There's research behind it. But 
I see people that are like, yeah, I'm just eating a bunch of fat and I'm getting protein in and I'm not eating any carbohydrate and I'm not focused on the quality of the fat that I'm eating. I'm eating a ton of fat that's going to be inflammatory. <laughs> and on top of that, I'm just eating fat and protein, so I should be in keto. And you don't understand how keto works then because your body wants to manufacture glucose and through a phase called gluconeogenesis, your body can create glucose from excess protein. So if mm -hmm. you feed your body too much protein while you're on a ketogenic diet and you're not logging and you don't know how many grams you're getting in, mm -hmm. it's not going to work for you. The other piece to that is also that people, like we talked about, the overestimation or underestimation mm -hmm. of carbohydrates. And then perfect example, when I did keto, I was eating cashews and then I realized I can't eat cashews because when I logged it in for the day, I was too high on my carbohydrates to be in that ketogenic state for me. Mm -hmm. that, that ketogenic state for me was, I think I put it, I set it at like 10% carbohydrates. Yeah. And anything above that would take me out of keto. Yeah. Right. And obviously those ratios are slightly different for everybody, but I did mm -hmm. like a 70, 20, 10 and 20% protein, which was the lowest mm -hmm. protein I've ever eaten ever in, in my life, life. <laughs> because, because you can't maintain that ketogenic state. Now, here's the deal. If you've been in keto for a while, there's that kind of advanced, I can get away with eating a little bit more protein. Mm -hmm. And if you hold more muscle mass, you're going to need a different amount of protein than somebody else that doesn't. Mm -hmm. But that awareness that we're creating, right? And those getting to those advanced strategies, keto to me is an advanced strategy. If you haven't yeah. balanced your macros at 40, 30, 30, or in somewhat of a moderate macros all across the board, if you haven't mastered that and you don't understand macros and then you jump into keto, but you don't know anything about macros, you're mm -hmm. not really accurately doing keto. Yeah. And I would also add one of my biggest things too with the type of macro split is also what type of exercise you're doing. You know, I've all, I've told, we talked about this many times where I'm like the food has to, or the calories and the macros have to match the type of workouts that well, you're Well, this doing. is like where I say like CrossFitters that want to do keto. Like I don't, it's not yeah. optimal for you because you're, <laughs> the metabolic demand is you're going to want carbohydrates. You're doing high intensity work. Right. You're raising your heart rate, which is causing your body to want carbohydrates. So what are you going to do? Like I said, just with like the, the keto in and of itself, your body's going to break down protein and make sugar. Mm -hmm. You have to fit it to your activity. And that's the coaching piece too that we yeah. bring in is, hey, what's your activity like? And let's feed you so that you continue to optimally do this activity. Yeah. And sometimes when you start someone with the 40, 30, 30, and you give them a baseline, whatever that may be, it might not even be that their macros need to change. They may need to change the way they work out. And we very rarely talk about that when we're sitting down for nutrition sessions, I never just talk about nutrition. I mean, obviously we talk about a lot of things, but I'm always like, what did you do for workout this week? How did it feel? What was your energy level there? You start to question also what type of activity. Are they sticking to their workouts? Are they committed to them? And are they adhering to that? Because one feeds into the other. So they both, I, I always tell clients, it's like a husband and wife, <laughs> you know, the marriage has to work on both sides for both to work efficiently to help you to achieve your goal. Excellent. So key takeaways, and I'll mm -hmm. just tie goals in here at the end. Okay. The important thing when you're trying to make a nutrition plan is first, you need to create awareness of, of what you're doing and where your baseline is. Yes. So you've got your base, you've got, you start with your goal first and foremost, right? So you start with your goal. Is my goal to increase lean mass, decrease body fat, or do I want to maintain? Mm -hmm. Based on that information, 
you start to log, you see where your baseline is. If you want to see where you should be and where you should work up towards or down towards, mm-hmm. you use one of those equations that we, uh, that we mentioned. Mm-hmm. Probably, you know, either Harris-Benedict, Mifflin, or if you have access to body fat and, and factoring in lean body mass, the Katz-McArdle formula. So you can use one of those things. It'll give you where you should be. And then you start to be conscious and aware of where you want to head towards. Now your macronutrient composition is going to depend on your body type and what it's also going to depend on what your goals are, your total caloric intake from what the equations will give you. You're going to say, Hey, do I want to increase lean mass? Then, then I want to create somewhat of a surplus or do I want to decrease body fat? Then I want to create somewhat of a deficit. So then mm-hmm. you just take it from there. The formulas will just kind of help you to understand roughly around where your uh, total daily ener- energy expenditure theoretically should be. Mm-hmm. And then you just crush goals, but you got to be aware of what you're doing and, and you have to pay attention to what you're doing on a day-to-day basis. And for most people in the context that they use it, intuitive eating is bullshit. <laughs> it's an advanced strategy. Let's say that. It's, it may not be bullshit. It's just something that you, you can't start off doing it. You no, have to but, work you know, your way up. There's a whole misinterpretation and misconception yeah. around the food freedom movement. And yeah. I've seen studies too where I saw a study, I think it was like 25 college kids. It wasn't a huge study. It was a small study. I, I was talking to you about this yesterday, Nicole. Mm-hmm. They told them to intuitively eat. And then it was, I don't know, it was something like comparing food journals to intuitive eating. And it's somebody who's never had exposure to any of these tools. So no shit, your intuitive eating is going to be off. You can't intuitively eat if you, you're not conscious and you're not aware of what you're putting inside of your body. You can't just tell people, your everyday person, hey, intuitively eat, food freedom. Uh, Well, most of the people that we, that have come to us are intuitive, intuitively eating and that's why they're coming to us. Yeah, right? <laughs> they're intuitively eating crap, crap. And, we need to, and we need to clean that up and make them aware of that. And so right. you don't need to do that method. You need to just learn. You have to, you have to really pay attention to your individual body. That's what that comes to. And then intuitive eating comes way later when you're an expert at your body. Yeah, that I think pretty much covers it. Yeah, I, we could, we could, I could continue and keep talking, but if you want to hang the hat there. <laughs> we can't. I mean, I think we covered everything we planned. We did. I mean, do you have anything else to add? No, I, I just, I just love this conversation and I could talk about it for hours to yeah, be honest. Well, you know, let's not make this, <laughs> let's not make this a uh, Joe Rogan podcast three hours long. You get through, you get through them in a week. Okay. Um, all right. So <laughs> yeah, ladies so and gentlemen, <laughs> if you enjoyed this episode or any other episode, click subscribe, give us five stars comment follow us at eat right nutrition on instagram and if you have any questions you need any specific help with something shoot us a dm we're always happy to help if you're looking to get on track shoot us a dm we're always happy to help 